This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, May 1st. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, wildlife feel strain of a long winter. Telluride Education Foundation marks its 30th year. Capital Conversation talks guns and taxes. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, Telluride lost a member of its community over the weekend. William Vega Rodriguez was found dead outside of his home on Saturday morning. He was 39 years old. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Rodriguez moved to Telluride from Puerto Rico to start a new life. He was well-known around town as an excellent chef and had dreams of opening his own restaurant in Telluride or Miami. The cause and manner of death are under investigation. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Rodriguez is survived by his parents, William Sr. and Martiza, his siblings, Pedro and Olga, his wife, Cindy, and his 11-month-old daughter, Gabriela. Winter is a challenging time for wildlife, but spring? Spring can be even harder, especially when snowstorms and cold temperatures linger, taxing wildlife when they're already weakened from the winter months. How has area wildlife fared this year? Mark Caddy, the Norwood District Manager with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, says it depends on where you look. The populations out in the winter range around Dry Creek Basin and Lower Disappointment, they did pretty good this year simply because uh, at low country, while it did pick up some snow and did, got good moisture, uh, you know, it didn't accumulate like it has in the high country. For the deer and elk up in the higher elevations around Telluride, Caddy says the story is a bit different. Because there was snow not only on the real high country, but there was snow for extended periods of time, even in the, uh, you know, well, normally the winter range over there in Aldo Sorrow. So we are seeing a few more uh, deaths up there. Uh, just simply because it was a rough winter on them. In the past few weeks, residents may have noticed increased wildlife activity at the outskirts of town as those herds roam farther afield from their typical range. I mean, they're going to look for the, whatever the easiest food is and what food you know, they can get to. So it would not surprise me if they would come in closer to town, uh, be in people's backyards where you know, things have been shoveled off or warmth of the house you know, melts the snow off. The other place animals will congregate when searching for food along roadsides, which, of course, creates a hazard for wildlife and drivers alike. Caddy says this has been a serious problem in northern Colorado, where spring snowstorms have been especially persistent. So they've, they've had some real issues up there uh, with uh, large numbers of animals being killed alongside the highway and alongside the train tracks and everything. So... Uh, it's just, uh, it's been a hard one for them. If you take to the hills above Telluride, Caddy says there could be more signs of distress than usual. But on the whole, wildlife populations will fare okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I know people are probably, if they're, if they, as they start hiking around that Telluride country, as the snow finally goes off, if eventually here, uh, you know, they're probably going to see a few more carcasses, winter kill carcasses than they normally would have seen. Um, that's you know, that's what happens in nature, especially in that high country where they have a limited amount of winter range. But we we did fairly well. The moisture is going to be a benefit to the wildlife come springtime. 
A good soaking from snowmelt will bring not only green grass come summer, but that water will also lay the groundwork for next year's winter range when the snows return. On the surface, Telluride can seem like a very wealthy place. But Tony Nash, president of the Telluride Education Foundation, says those looks can be deceiving, especially when it comes to school funding. A lot of people don't realize how underfunded our school is. Um, we, we are in the smallest category of mills, and so Telluride Education Foundation was founded to augment and subsidize that gap. That founding was 30 years ago this month. Nash continues. And over those 30 years, we have raised over and funded programs of over a million dollars. So we're very proud of that. We fund um, things such as field trips for students. We did a Mesa Verde field trip um, last year, um, spreading joy in the classroom. We provide every teacher with a stipend of $200. Um, we've This year, we've been really focused on providing teens with a healthy way to socialize. So we, uh, we fund different teen nights um, with local businesses. Over the years, Nash says, Telluride Education Foundation has expanded its focus to include the needs of teachers in both their personal and professional lives. Nash reports teachers in our community face a lot of challenges. There's been lots of turnover, so we're very focused on um, teacher morale and staff morale. Um, and our funding actually will help teachers from commuting expenses, housing expenses, child care, continued education. We, you know, we really do focus on both the students and the teachers in the community of the Telluride School District. Another current challenge relates back to the COVID-19 pandemic and how patterns from COVID life continue to shape Telluride schools. Specifically, Nash says, TEF is working to invite families to re-engage with classrooms and teachers. It was such a hands-off, you couldn't go in the school, you know, protected environment for so long. And after two years, that becomes a habit. So, you know, just reminding parents to engage with the school. In the spirit of gathering as a community and in celebration of a big 30th birthday, TEF is throwing a party and fundraiser. It will hold a spring social this Thursday, May 4th from 4 to 8 p.m. at the Elks Lodge. Hopefully we'll have great weather and it'll be inside, outside. DJ Wombat will have food and there will be a cash bar and it'll be fun, fun to be had for all. The event will also feature an extensive silent auction, which is already open for bidding online. For the full details on how to join the celebration or get involved in other ways, visit TellurideEducation.org. Guns and taxes are on the docket in Denver. In this installment of Capital Conversation, KOTO State House reporter Lucas Brady Woods brings the latest. Hey, Lucas, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Thanks for having me, as always. Let's start with gun control. Governor Polis signed several bills last week. What are those bills and what will they mean for Coloradans? Yeah, so the governor signed four bills into law on Friday that deal with gun regulations and regulations on the gun industry. And, you know, they're really some of the most consequential gun legislations, gun, gun laws now, that really have ever been passed in 
Colorado history. You know, it's, it's you know, there's a lot of pro pro gun sentiment in the state, and it, these these laws really really do put some new restrictions on gun ownership. You know, w- one of them adds a three day waiting period to all gun purchases. And another one raises the purchasing age to 21 for almost all guns. There are some exceptions for active duty military members, law enforcement, competition shooters, and hunters. There's some there's some leeway there on that 21 uh, year old limit uh, minimum age of possession and purchase. It's actually possession and purchase, not just purchase. So those are sort of some of the the core ones. The other two expand the red flag law here in Colorado to include teachers, mental health professionals, and doctors in the list of people who can petition to have someone's guns removed if they pose a threat to themselves or others. Then the fourth law, now law, would make it easier, will make it easier for victims of gun violence to sue gun stores and manufacturers. Now that one was rolled back a bit uh, from its original form, but but it still keeps gun uh, manufacturers and gun stores, gun dealers accountable to the same standards that other businesses in Colorado have when, uh, you know, their their products have some kind of risk to public safety. So those are the, so, so that's the, that's the main package that was signed into law. And, you know, that's actually drawn some pretty staunch criticism from gun rights groups and actually Rocky Mountain Gun Owners, which is a Colorado gun rights group, filed two lawsuits in federal court against two of the measures right after they were signed, within hours of their signature. And we'll see what happens with those. But, you know, critics of the bill, including Rocky Mountain Gun Owners, say uh, critics of the, the package of bills, I should say, and now laws say they're overreaches and unconstitutional regarding the Second Amendment. And, uh, there is one other gun bill that is finishing up its journey through the legislature, and that would ban unserialized firearms, including ghost guns, which are guns that are sold in kits or 3D printed and can be assembled at home. And they don't have serial numbers, which is how you track guns. And so this law would uh, really outlaw any gun that doesn't have serial numbers, but it would provide an opportunity and a, a time frame for people to go get serial numbers put on their guns if they have on serialized firearms. So we're still waiting on that one to get to Polis's desk. But yes, he, he did sign a pretty historic package of gun bills on Friday. I also wanted to talk about taxes. We have some breaking news today from Polis about property taxes. What's going on there? Well, property taxes are expected to spike like crazy next year because of increasing property values. And, and this could be a... A problem for some people. I mean, this stuff could go up by, you know, thousands of dollars for some people, these property taxes. And lawmakers and Governor Polis have said that this is something they really want to tackle this session. And, you know, we only have one week left as of today for lawmakers to pass laws. So what, what they announced today, Polis and a bunch of Democratic lawmakers, they announced that there's going to be a ballot measure in November that will be designed to provide property tax relief for both residential and commercial properties. It's going to lower those property taxes for people. Now, this is a little bit more complicated than that because property taxes fund things like schools, fire departments, EMS departments, ambulances, these kinds of things. So what the government's going to do is use some of the excess tax money, the surplus, which is 
called TABOR, as we all know. Uh, they're going to use some of those TABOR funds, the excess TABOR funds, to backfill some of these, you know, deficits in the funding for these organizations, these services that usually come from property taxes. They're going to put the TABOR money in there to make sure that schools, fire departments, and ambulance services stay funded. So property taxes could go down, but funding for the essential services would remain. Exactly. That is exactly right. And and this is going to be called Proposition HH in, in November uh, when voters get it on their ballots. Lucas, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we really, it is the final countdown, but I look forward to uh, keeping you all praised. That was KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reporting from Denver. Newly constructed, solar-powered, and rent-controlled homes are welcoming their first residents in Norwood's Pinion Park neighborhood. The 24 homes at Pinion Park have been under construction for the past year and are part of an affordable housing initiative led by the area nonprofit Rural Homes in partnership with San Miguel County. The project used grant funding, donated county land, modular building techniques, and other innovative financing to keep home costs low. Following the success of the project, Rural Homes hopes to oversee a similar project in Buena Vista, Colorado. A number of homes are still available, and prices are in the range of $350,000 to $400,000 for a three-bedroom, three-bathroom house. Homebuyer Homebuyer assistance programs are offered as part of the project. The Colorado River is just starting to fill up with snowmelt. Runoff season won't reach its peak until June, but heavy snow in the mountains is a promising start. In western Colorado, where two-thirds of the river begins, snowpack is well above average, with some areas still buried by twice the normal amount of snow. A record-breaking winter in Utah means snow totals are well above average for this time of year, with some areas showing two, three, or even ten times as much snow as usual. Sites that measure snow in New Mexico and Arizona also show above average. This wet winter means a strong but temporary boost for the nation's largest reservoirs. The region's water shortage is so severe it would take half a decade of winters like this one to turn around the Colorado River crisis. The Southern Ute Tribe reached a settlement with two companies that operate a natural gas plant in Ignacio in southern Colorado. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD has more. Harvest Four Corners and Williams, Inc. operate gas pipelines nationwide. In 2019, the Southern Ute Tribe sued both companies related to their operation of a natural gas processing plant in Ignacio near the Durango Airport. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, the companies were violating numerous clean air regulations. The plant was emitting volatile organic compounds, which are potentially cancer-causing gases. The plant was also illegally flaring gas. The Southern New Indian tribe settled with the companies last week for over $300,000. The settlement is part of a larger $9 million settlement with three companies that the EPA announced on Thursday. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for cloudy skies tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Tuesday calls for a chance of showers increasing throughout the day with a high near 60 degrees. 
Tuesday night calls for early rain, followed by clearing and a low near 35. Wednesday should be mostly sunny with a high near 60 and a slight chance of showers in the afternoon. Wednesday night calls for cloudy skies and a low around 35. This has been the news for Monday, May 1st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.